0: You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning. It's great to be together and to get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn to Genesis chapter 39, which we're going to read in a couple of minutes' time. But before we do that, I have a question. Who here loves the Marvel and DC Uh, franchise. Who loves those comics? Anyone? Yeah? Wait, hands nice and high. Um, I know some people in this church who will go for the opening night. They will go for the midnight showing and will queue for a long time to make sure that they're the first people that they know to see the latest uh, Avengers film so that they don't hear any of the spoilers. They don't hear anything about it before anyone else does. Now, I'm about to lose some friends here by saying this, but I... I find, maybe you do too, that these films are quite formulaic. Has anyone noticed that? I know I'm about to lose some long-standing friendships in this church. But what tends to happen in these um, stories is that there's an ordinary world and a seemingly ordinary uh, kid in this ordinary world, and then you, you discover early on they actually have some extraordinary powers. And behind the scenes, unbeknown to everyone else, there's a bad guy and his minions, and they're plotting either world destruction or world domination and what happens is kids are just living their normal life and then suddenly they're told of this plot and they're told that they are the ones who can defeat this evil force they're the ones who can be the, the answer to this evil uh, in the world and that at first they're reluctant they don't want to do it they don't think they've got what it takes and they're counting themselves out and then suddenly they have a meeting with the mentor and the older wiser head draws alongside them and uh, says to them no you can do this you've got what it takes and, we, you know, and then they suddenly go into training. And then they come across their first trial. They come across their first kind of major challenge. And if they overcome that challenge, then it means that they can then fight the bad guy at the end in, in a big climactic battle where usually our hero will die, or almost die, and then come back from the edge and then defeat the bad guy once and for all. And then the world returns to peace again until Hollywood fancies a bit more money. And then they roll out yet another one of the franchises. So much so that Avengers Endgame, I heard this week, isn't going to even be the end of the game. (laughs) I thought that that was going to be it, but they're now talking about other Avengers films. Now, I'm not the only one to have noticed this. Uh, Film critics have worked out the 12 stages of the hero's journey, and some of the stages that I've just uh, described there are part of it. Now, if Joseph was a superhero, then we are getting to the part of the story where he's received this call that he knows he's going to have a big part to play in something. He knows he's got a big destiny, but he's now about to face his first major challenge, and this challenge comes in the form of temptation, particularly sexual temptation, which is what we're going to be looking at a fair bit today. He's been abandoned by his brothers. They've beaten him up. They've left him for dead, and they've dumped him in a pit, and then he's been sold into slavery, and that's where we pick up the story. So that's where we are in Genesis 39. I'm going to read most of Genesis 39. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran away from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak, and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. We're going to read Romans chapter 13, just a few verses there as well. And then I'm going to pray because I need God's help in this message. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes, And put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness. Or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living. Or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil Desires. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we need your help today as we tackle this subject of temptation. Would you come and change our hearts and change our minds? I pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know you. Would this speak to them as much as it speaks to those who already know you? Would you come and have your way amongst us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So we see here Joseph's first trial sexual temptation and I'm going to share a few points today that all begin with wake up because as we've just read there from Paul's letter to the Romans there's a sleepiness that we can kind of drift into sometimes when it comes to these matters and the message today is wake up it's loud and clear it's wake up and I hope that today is going to be a transforming message for many people that it will actually transform our lives And that actually our church will be transformed as we take this to our hearts. So, how do we resist temptation? How do we, like Joseph, resist fierce temptation? Firstly, we need to wake up and see the spiritual reality in which we live. What we experience day to day is not the reality of the world in which we live. We are like the people in the movies, these superhero movies who are just going about their day-to-day lives like normal, and you, you kind of know the plot. You can see that the bad guy's starting to um, prepare his world domination, and you just want to scream at the people in the movie, wake up! You can't go on living like you are when this is going on behind the scenes. Don't you know if only you could see what was happening, you wouldn't live like you live. And we see in the Bible a picture is painted for us. The curtain is peeled back, as it were, as to the spiritual reality in which we live. We are in a world in which there is angelic activity and there is demonic activity, forces of evil. And Jesus, when he began his earthly ministry, he went around preaching about the kingdom of God, how we're to embrace God as our king, how we're to know that he's the one who's the ultimately satisfying one. He's the one whose lives we're to give ourselves wholly to. And he went around demonstrating the kingdom by healing people, showing that he had authority over uh, illnesses. And he went around uh, freeing people from spiritual oppression, evil spirits that fled uh, from people as he came by. Jesus demonstrated his kingship. But we see the curtain peeled back that there are demonic forces at play. There's a spiritual reality that we don't see 95% of the time. And Jesus' followers, when they started to proclaim the kingdom, after he had ascended to heaven, filled them with the Spirit, they went around proclaiming the kingdom of God. And when they went around proclaiming the kingdom of God, what happened? Again, spiritual opposition came about. And the apostle Paul, whose words we're going to read in just a moment from Ephesians chapter 6, he he encountered spiritual opposition. People would be freed from evil spirits as he went around preaching Jesus There was a spiritual reality that they had an idea of, an understanding of, that often we are oblivious to. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We are not in a spiritually neutral environment. We're in a, in a battle, friends. And we must remind ourselves of this reality. We must wake up to this reality that we are in a battle. It's a bit like a soldier in World War I is gonna be reminded of the reality of the battle that he's in every single day because shells are coming firing over his trenches there's gunfire going off. He's going to be reminded of it. If he was to forget that he was in a battle, then he might one morning think, I'm going to go for a nice leisurely walk over the top and he's immediately going to get blown to pieces. And the same for us, friends. We need to realize that we're in a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle raging with good and evil, with forces that are unseen. And the good news is that if we are Christians, which many of us here are, we know we're on the winning side. Because on the cross and through his resurrection, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. The devil was defeated. Death has been defeated so that we no longer remain in the grave. We too, who've placed our faith in Jesus, will go uh, and live forever with Jesus. But whilst he's been defeated, he has not yet been destroyed. Our enemy has not yet been destroyed. And until that day, a war rages a war wages. The kingdom of God advances, people get healed, people come to know Jesus as their king, people are delivered of of oppressive spirits, but we've an enemy who is not going down without a fight. We need to wake up to this reality, we need to wake up, otherwise we're going to get knocked out by opposition. We're going to fall into the traps laid by our enemy and we're not going to be on our guard. We need to be continually reminded of this truth. Because this truth won't just naturally remain alive in the mind. We need to come again and again to be fed with truth. That's why coming to church is important and being in the word of God is important. We need to wake up to the big picture of this spiritual reality in which we live. So firstly, let's wake up to this. Let's not drift around as if we are in spiritually kind of neutral territory. No, we're in a battle. And the day we say, Jesus, I'm standing for you, Jesus, I'm living for you, we are basically putting a big target on our backs. And we're finding ourselves with opposition to face us. Secondly, we need to wake up to the works that God has prepared for us, to the role that he has for us to play in the rolling out of his kingdom. Joseph had a a, a calling. He wasn't quite sure at this point what it was going to look like. He didn't know that he was going to end up being prime minister of Egypt. He didn't know that he was going to end up saving uh, thousands of people's lives through his actions in this great famine that was about to come on, on the land. But he knew something of God's calling on his life. He knew something of there being a great call upon him. And I believe that that was in his mind when he was faced with the prospect of Potiphar's wife. And likewise, we too have... We too have a calling on us to see the kingdom of God advance, to see uh, the forces of evil push back and see many people come to know Jesus. And we too need to have this in our mind when we are faced with temptation. We see in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul has written to this church in Ephesus saying, God saved you by his grace. He's made you alive in Christ. And then he says this, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus So that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He has planned good works for you to walk into. He's planned things for you to do. He has purposes for you. If you know him, he's got great things for you. And I think in Joseph's mind, as Potiphar's wife was there trying to seduce him. And I wonder how many of us would say no to temptation that comes our way. If only we knew if only we knew the great things that God has got stored up for us. It wasn't as if God was going to strike Joseph down dead. He may have done had Joseph succumbed to temptation. But he may not have used Joseph in the way that he used him. He may not have entrusted him in the ways that he entrusted him had Joseph succumb to temptation in the secret place I wonder how many of us would say no if only we knew if only we knew that the things that God has laid out for us to walk into if only we knew those things how many of us would say no I'm not going to go there we've got to understand that sex with Potiphar's wife would have been a good prospect for Joseph let's not beat around the bush here she was the wife of the chief guard in the army I think he probably had the money and the influence to get an attractive wife I think she was a beautiful woman. And what's more, she was very wealthy as well. They had servants working for them. She would have had the best clothes, the best perfumes. She could have made herself very attractive to Joseph. This was an attractive prospect in many ways to Joseph. She could have provided not only sexual gratification for him, but potentially she could have provided for him materially too. He could have been her toy boy. She could have made things very, very good for him. If they'd struck up a romantic relationship with her, she could have pulled in all kinds of favours for him. He could have had affirmation from a beautiful woman, sexual gratification whenever he wanted it, material provision, maybe even better job prospects down the line. This was a huge offer. There's no beating around the bush here. This was a big offer on the table for Joseph. This was an enticing offer, and yet he refused because he knew God's calling on his life. He knew God's calling on his life. He knew God was watching, and he wanted to honour God. He wanted to honor God in the secret place knowing that a little gratification in the short term could potentially ruin his life, it could ruin her life, it would ruin her marriage and it would ruin the plans that God has for him. If only we knew. If only we knew, friends. If only we knew what God had laid up for us. How more easy would it be for us to say, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to say no because God's got better for me. I felt in the first service, God lay on my heart, and I believe it for this service as well, that for some of you men here, some of you are hooked on pornography. And how much easier it would be to say no, if only you knew that God wants to see you become a giant in the faith. He wants to see you walking tall, not in shame. He wants to see you walking strong in him, not in, oh man, I've messed up again. Some of you ladies here flirting with men who are not your husband or flirting with men who should never be your husband. How many of you would say no to that if you just knew the great things that God has for you to walk into? Wake up to the great purposes that he has for you. For Joseph, there wasn't even a hint of compromise here. He refused to even be with Potiphar's wife. Sometimes we think we can play with fire and not be burnt. How foolish we are. Play with fire and you will be burnt. And others will be burnt also. Some of you, you shouldn't drink alcohol. We don't teach teetotalism here. The Bible does not teach teetotalism. But some of you, you shouldn't touch alcohol. Because you know that when you have one beer, at least the two, It leads to three and four and more, and you end up getting drunk and doing things and saying things that do not honor God. And so you should just say, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to be decisive in this and say, I'm not going to go there. I had a friend of mine at university, and uh, we were having a drink one evening, and I bought him a drink. He said, I'll have a Coke, please. And I was having a beer, and I said, do you want a beer? And he said, no, I don't drink alcohol. And in my foolishness as a 19-year-old, I said, that's a little bit legalistic, isn't it? And he said, well, it's not about what I believe the Bible says. I, I think the Bible permits us to drink alcohol, but I know my own flesh. And in my foolishness, he wasn't, he wasn't putting it on anyone else. He was in no way being legalistic. But he knew his own flesh. He knew that for him, one pint was going to lead to several. I think Joseph knew his own flesh. He didn't even want to be with Potiphar's wife. He did all he could to avoid Potiphar's wife. Because he knew his own flesh. He knew I could end up in bed with her very easily if I'm not careful. And it might have seemed quite unreasonable. His refusal to even be with her might have seemed unreasonable. The other slaves and servants there must have thought, he's a bit hes a bit weird, isn't he? He does all he can just to not be in the same room as her alone. Sometimes our, our decisiveness in trying to uh, avoid temptation can look unreasonable. It can seem maybe even legalistic at first. But listen, Joseph was clear. He didn't want to commit adultery, and so he didn't want to go even near the hint of it. Some of you, you might be thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm clear. I don't want to commit adultery, but you know, a little bit of flirtation's okay. Some of you, you're going to, need to take decisive steps and say, I'm going to remove myself as far as possible from this temptation. I'm going to delete a phone number, or I'm even going to move jobs. Joseph had no choice. He had to work here. He was a slave. Some of you, you need to take some decisive steps to to get away from playing with fire. Because when we wake up to the spiritual reality of the battle that we're in and of the great works that God has prepared for us, we will make decisive steps. We will say, I'm not going to go there. That guy's showing me some attention. I know he doesn't know Jesus, but he's really nice. No, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to pray for his salvation. And then if he wants to come near, he can come near. Some of you ladies, you just need to make that your step. He's not going to be able to go out with me until he's red hot on fire for Jesus. Some of you men, the other way around, some of you just think, oh, this girl that works really, really nice, but she doesn't know Jesus, but she's she's got good values. No, listen, Joseph was committed to the call of God that he had on his life. Do you want to be a giant in the faith? You've got to make wise steps. You've got to make wise steps now that will serve you well in the years to come. God wants to trust you with much. He wants to trust you with much. Are you going to honor him in the secret place? Thirdly, let's be those that wake up to the schemes of the enemy. In First Peter chapter 5, Peter writes this, stay alert. In other words, wake up. He says this, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. The enemy here is described as a prowling lion. I love to watch nature programs with my kids. It's one of the, the things we do as a family. We love to see God's creation. We Things like our planet and planet Earth, we love it. And we love to watch the big cats. And I'm always one of those dads. I'm that dad who pauses it every episode and says, Kids, isn't God's creation amazing? Do you, believe, do you Some people think this is all an accident and they go, yeah, dad, you say this every time. I'm that dad. But we love to watch the big cats just stalking their prey, going through the long grass, looking out for the wounded one from the herd or the young one or the one that's completely unaware of his presence or the one that's isolated and on its own, just looking out for, looking out for that prey to devour. There's an incredible subtlety to the way in which a big cat stalks its prey the big cat's tactics are are subtle they're secretive they're sudden they're subtle they're not massively obvious moves at first little things that that creep into our minds and we kind of should get rid of them but we don't and we sort of let things fester in our minds and then suddenly they become a thought that we entertain that little bit more that can be very subtle at first maybe little half truths that we believe they're not the full truth And we think, yeah, that sounds about right. And we let them weigh in our minds. And before we know it, we've kind of ended up in some error in some way. Little things that we overlook, but we shouldn't. Seemingly, it's harmless initially. But these little subtle things can grow and develop. Secretive. These things that are in secret, sometimes no one else knows. No one else sees. This isn't harming anyone. This is completely harmless. I can handle it. No one needs to know. It's my battle but quickly that can spin out of control and it can come to the surface and things that we entertain in the secret place actually have an effect on our lives and actually have an effect on the decisions that we make. Sometimes we think, oh, it's only, it's only pornography. No one needs to know. It's harming no one. But before you know it, it's affecting your attitude to the opposite sex. Before you know it, it's, it's making you think, oh, I would like a wife one day, but actually I don't find any women attractive because I'm hooked on these images on a screen and then seemingly perfect women, it actually ends up affecting our life. It affects the surface. It feels like it's just under the surface and we can keep it there, but it affects the surface. And it might be for many different things. But this is true. And it's sudden. Suddenly, when we're at our lowest, at our most vulnerable, because we've allowed things to fill our minds that we should never have let in or are most vulnerable because we think we're untouchable. Sometimes we think, I'm in a great place. I've had great quiet times with God this week. I've been reading the Bible. I feel like I'm untouchable. And it's at that moment that we should be most careful, lest we fall. We think we're standing strong. Or when we've isolated ourselves through self-pity, think, well, no one really cares about me. And you can just withdraw ourselves from things and think, no one cares. I want my own in this world. And that can be the moment where the prowling lion pounces. And we need to be those that push in to community and say, no, I'm not going to be isolated and on my own. The temptation comes when we're particularly vulnerable. I can imagine that Joseph was very vulnerable. He had been beaten up by his brothers, left for dead, and sold into slavery. That is about as rough as it gets. I imagine he was feeling pretty sorry for himself. I imagine he was feeling pretty distressed and thinking, man, this life sucks. I imagine he was very vulnerable at this moment psychologically, physically, he was far from home and accountability. No one there knew him. He could do whatever he liked. No one else knew about his dreams. No one else knew about the call of God in his life. He could have felt that he had every right to succumb. I deserve this. I've been through a very tough time and now there's a beautiful woman offering herself to me. I deserve this. I should have this. It's often that we're at our lowest when the enemy will strike. Joseph had an uncle called Esau. Esau was the eldest son Of twins. There was twin boys born to Isaac. And Esau was due to inherit everything of his father's blessing and name and honor. And he was he was the guy who so God's introduced in the Bible a number of times as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how God's hi, I'm God, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It should have been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. That's how it should have been. But Esau goes out hunting one day. And he's really hungry, he's starving, and he comes back home and he sees his brother cooking a stew, and he says, that looks so good. And his brother said, well, if you want, you can have it, but give me your birthright, so that I effectively become the oldest son, so I effectively get my father's inheritance. I mean, I've made some stupid trades with my brother over the years, but that was ridiculous. God had said to Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world through your family. And Esau's hungry. He's got an appetite, and he says, I'm going to trade all of what God's promised me for a meal, for a bit of stew. Sometimes when we're tempted, all that is spiritual and godly can fade from view. Sometimes that's what temptation can do to us, and we think, I want instant gratification. Give it to me now. But something else had captured Joseph. Something else had captured him, as we're going to see in a moment. All of the dreams that he'd had, all of the call of God in his life could have faded into insignificance when this woman stood before him. But something else had captured him. There's one more S of temptation. Sometimes temptation is sustained. Sometimes it goes on and on and on. For this, for Joseph, it was day after day after day. And some of you, you might be thinking that's true for you. I'm just tempted day after day after day in the same way. And it's exhausting. We'd, we'd love to pray with you if that's you after this service. But let me tell you this, resistance isn't futile. Resistance is fruitful. As you resist, there will be much fruit in your life. As you resist, God will, he will entrust you with more, and he will give you more to carry for his glory. Sometimes we can feel unique in this, like we're the only ones who are going through what we're going through. I know that most of you have been brought up on Disney, but let me tell you, you're not that special. You're not that special. You're not the only one who's going through this. You're not the only one who's who's tempted in that way. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. That can be quite reassuring to know can't it because we can sometimes think well I'm the only one and if I was ever to bring that to the surface then people would look at me and think I'm really really weird the temptations in your life are common everyone experiences temptation it falls into the category of temptation that everyone experiences you might think you cannot raise it with anyone because you're special and the only one in the situation It's normal to wrestle with temptation. You cannot say, my goal for 2020 is to no longer be tempted. That's my New Year's resolution. I'm never going to be tempted again. There'll always be temptation, no matter how mature we grow, because temptation itself is not sin. To be tempted is not sin, but to succumb to temptation is. We're all tempted away from the beauty of God, and we're tempted towards the fleeting beauty of this world. Let me give you the good news. second half of this verse, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. You will never face a temptation that is more than you can stand. You will never, ever face a temptation that is more than you can stand. God gives a way out. There is a way out. It is not inevitable for you to succumb. It is not inevitable for you if you are in Jesus. If you know Jesus It is not inevitable for you. You don't have to go there. In fact, now you are a new creation. It's more natural for you to not go there. Whereas before, it would have been the case that actually everything that came to you, eventually you would have succumbed to. But now you're a new creation in Jesus. It's more natural to not go there. That's who you are now. And there's real payback now as we resist. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are and yet was without sin. Now, you might think of all kinds of obscure temptations right now and think, was Jesus tempted in that way? Let me tell you, in the terms of categories of temptation, Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, and yet was without sin. And there's payback for us now as we resist in this life and in eternity. How are we going to land this? We've considered the reality of the battle which we're in. We've considered the call of God on our lives the good works that he's prepared for us, and we've considered the devil's schemes. Let's consider one last thing that we need to wake up to. We need to wake up to the grace of God. This is what we read in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God that we've sung about this morning, the wonderful grace of Jesus, and how he's pardoned us and freed us and lavish good things upon us that we don't deserve. It is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness, And to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has been lavished upon your life. Grace upon grace. Good things that we don't deserve. Forgiveness. Freedom from sin. Adoption into God's family. The Holy Spirit within us. The fact that we get caught up in this great mission and not just left on the sidelines to watch God do the work. He's lavished upon us great grace. And it's that grace, as we lay hold of it, as we behold it, as we take it to our hearts, it's that grace that teaches us to say no. It's that grace, as we behold the beauty of God's grace towards us, as we behold the amazing saviour that we have, it's that that will teach us to say no. It's affection for God that will obliterate affection for anything else. It's affection for him that as we come to celebrate what he's done for us, it's that that we can say, wow. I don't want to go anywhere near anything that will not honour you, Lord. But listen, friends, we forget the grace of God. We need to come to be reminded. When we come to church on Sundays, it's not just, it's just part of our routine. We come to be given the smelling salts to say, wake up. That's why we come. We come to praise God. And as we pray, we're reminded of great truths that are like the smelling salts that we need to wake us up from our slumber. And some of you will come to church one week in four let me tell you, you need to come whenever you can. You need to come more than that because actually you need the smelling salts. You need the smelling salts to say, wake up. Wake up to the grace of God. He's so much better than anything else that you could give yourself to. It's his grace that teaches us to say no. And as we come together, we're reminded, I'm no longer bound to my fleshly desires. I don't have to go there. I'm not handcuffed to them anymore. Jesus has won me. He's cleansed me. Joseph has this attitude of thanksgiving. He's aware of all that's been given to him. He says, Potiphar's not withheld anything from me except you because you're his wife. We can say in an even greater way, God has not withheld any good thing from me. He's not withheld anything from me that I need. I don't need to be bitter or tempted by other things. He's not withheld anything from me that I need. But Joseph calls a spade a spade. He says, I can't do this great wickedness and sin against God. He calls it for what it is. He calls sin for what it is. He calls it wickedness before God. This woman is not his wife. This is one of the many places in Scripture where we see that sex is for marriage and nakedness and intimacy is for marriage between one man and one woman. That's what marriage is. He calls a spade a spade. The woman on your computer screen is not your wife. The woman on the, on the staff team is not your wife. It's a wicked thing to, to think of these things. It's evil in God's sight. He's God of grace. He's the God who can forgive even the most defiled persons we've sung about this morning. There's grace for you. But let's call a spade a spade. He says, I can't do this wicked thing and sin against God. It's evil in God's sight. Sometimes we use other words to describe our sin. Oh, I've struggled with this or I mess up with that. Call it for what it is. Joseph withstood this great test. He fled the scene. The Apostle Paul says, flee sexual immorality. He's got this story in his mind when he writes that. Joseph legged it. That's the way to fight this battle sometimes, just to get up and run. I'm out of here. It didn't go well for him, it turns out. He ends up in prison, and he might think, why did I do that? But the moment he enters prison, because he stood up to temptation and said, I'm not going there, He might feel as low as he could possibly get. But in heaven, they're saying, come on, he's done it. Yes, he's withstood the temptation. They're cheering him on saying, go, Joseph, go, you've stood up strong. And we need to be those that realize that there is a heavenly cloud of witnesses cheering us on in the fight. And sometimes it might not go well for us initially when we withstand, but God is on our side. He will help us to withstand. Let's talk about Potiphar, shall we? His marriage was in big trouble. His marriage was in a lot of trouble. His wife is there trying to seduce a guy who's barely a man. She's obviously been neglected by him. He's working hard. And she's got unchecked idols of vanity in her life. And she thinks, I could get this guy to sleep with me. And it will satisfy me. This marriage is in a lot of trouble. But I believe, friends, that God can restore. He can. I've seen in five and a half years of being a pastor here, God restore even the most broken of situations. God is a God who is the God of the impossible. I was speaking with a friend this week, in fact a friend this week who's been there and to hell and back really, and we were talking about the fact that so often we kind of get to hear about marriage difficulty when it's already a crisis, and we just prayed together that that somehow god would create this culture where marriage difficulty is not a taboo where we can actually go to others and say i'm struggling in this way we're not connecting well whatever it might be and that actually there's this culture where we pray for one another and we cheer each other on and we we don't leave things unsaid friends let's have that culture if you if you're struggling if you can relate to Potiphar's wife and think i'm neglected i don't i don't even see my husband well get someone alongside you who you can pray with and help and then in time bring another person along and get together as couples or something. Do something about it. There's no taboo here. We're not going to fall off our chairs and think, oh man, you're the only person in the world who's ever struggled in marriage. Maybe you're feeling like Potiphar and you think, my wife's taken up with other men. She just, listen, we want to help you, whatever it might be. As we respond now, I wonder if the band could be ready just to come and lead us in a final song. But I feel like there's some people here who beyond anything else that I've just spoken about in terms of the spiritual reality we find ourselves in, the great plans God has for us, there's some here who just need to, for the first time today, give their lives to Jesus and to say, Jesus, I I want to give my life to you and I want to lead you in a prayer if, if you're in that position, if you're in that place and you think, yeah, this is all a bit weird for me, it's a bit intense, it's not always this intense, but it is intense. And you might be thinking, I, I, I just have seen something in Jesus that I want. Then I want to lead in a prayer in a minute. And I want to encourage you to pray along in your heart with me. And with everyone's eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand nice and high if you've prayed that prayer with me for the first time. And then I'm going to pray for us as a church family that we would uh, wake up, really. So I'm going to just pray now. And uh, this is particularly for those who who maybe are very, very new to church and new to this message and you just want to respond today. Just pray this in your hearts with me. God, I know that on many occasions I've messed up. I've sinned against you. God, I know that I've seen instant gratification as being of greater value than you. And I just know that that's offensive to you, God and I want forgiveness and I recognize that Jesus has made that forgiveness possible because on the cross he died to take my sin and shame on the cross he was my substitute and he rose again and it's been paid for my sin is dealt with and Jesus I want to give my life to you and say have it all You're my King. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. I want to live for you. Amen. Just with everyone's eyes closed, apart from mine, if you've prayed a prayer like that for the first time, just wave your hand nice and high, please. Thank you. Wonderful. If you've prayed a prayer with me just now, like that one. Anyone else? know today I want to give my life to Jesus today I want to make him king just raise your hand nice and high wonderful thank you if you've responded today we'd love to talk with you after this meeting we'd love to talk to you about baptism that would be your next step if you've made that step of faith today but for everyone else I just want to Maybe just invite us to stand. If we know that today there's been a big there's been a wake up call, really. Why don't you just stand where you are? If you just know today it's been a wake up call for me. I'd love just to pray for you. Wonderful. That's great. There might be others as well, just know today I've been slum I've been in slumber. And I just need to kind of wake up to this reality. God's plans for my life. Does anyone else just feel like oh, no I need to stand today and just say, "Lord, I'm, I'm I've woken up." Let me pray for you, and then I'm going to pray for everyone as we close. Thank you, Father, for those who've said today this has been a wake-up call. I pray. than anything else, they would be amazed at your grace, that you would capture their attention with your amazing grace. Heavenly Father, would you strengthen them, help them to see that you've got great plans and purposes for them. Lead them forward from today, Lord. Lead them forward from today, renewed strength, in renewed purpose, ready to put on the armor of God to stand against the schemes of the enemy. Strengthen them, I pray. Thank you, Lord. just want to invite everyone else to stand now, if you're able to. just want to pray for each one of us, and then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we just want to say to you today that we're yours. We want to commit ourselves afresh to you and say, Lord God, we want to fight. We don't want to be those that succumb and are defeated again and again, we know that in Christ we are more than conquerors and that he is able to deliver us. Lord God, we go from this place saying, Lord, we trust you and we want to give our lives afresh to you. Help us to withstand the schemes of the evil one. Help us to stand firm in Christ. Help us to rejoice in the grace of God. Help us to celebrate his amazing, abundant grace towards us. Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content but please do not edit the content in any way.